This morning we're studying from the end of Mark chapter 1, and we will be in uh, starting at verse 35, so I invite you to turn with me uh, there, and then we will be reading these words in a few minutes. Mark 1, starting at verse 35. Where do you stand on the issue of humanity's free will versus the will of God? Kind of an easy question for your Sunday morning. Understanding there's huge mystery in how we think about such a weighty topic, it seemed a good idea to begin today with some comic strip theology from Calvin and Hobbes. Here is Calvin on the limitations of free will. Do you believe our destinies are controlled by the stars? Hobbes says, no, I think we can do whatever we want with our lives. Not to hear mom and dad tell it. Here he is on uh, determinism. Do you believe our destinies are determined by the stars? Nah. Oh, I do, says Calvin. Really? How come? Life's a lot more fun when you're not responsible for your actions. That one might fit, hit a little too close to home for some of us. Here is Calvin on fatalism. I've decided to be a fatalist. All events are preordained and unalterable. Whatever will be, will be. That way, if anything bad happens, it's not my fault. It's fate. Trip. Too bad you were fated to do that, says Hobbes. That wasn't fate. (laughs) Now, one of the reasons why these are so funny is because we see ourselves in how Calvin expresses himself here. Some days we think we rule the world. And other days it seems that nothing we do has any impact on the overall scheme of life. We wonder, how much choice do we really have? And how much does God reign supreme? On one extreme side is the view that humanity has no free will whatsoever. We're predestined by what God wants, making us like puppets on a string. Everything we do is decided for us, and what we want doesn't matter. On the completely other extreme is total free will. Here we have full autonomy to choose everything about ourselves, including salvation. In fact, in this view, God may even limit himself, not knowing what is going to happen, seeing life unfold as we do. Like God sets the world in motion and then goes to take a nap. Someplace in the middle, of course, is where all of us live. And as a church, of course, we espouse a free will Arminian theology different than our Reformed brothers and sisters who have a predestination belief, but we acknowledge God's sovereignty in all things. We would say that God gives us free will to choose him and then works with us in that choice as he intervenes in our lives in various ways. We believe the gift of freedom is part of his love for us, that he wants people to have the option to trust him, even as he is inviting everyone to join him. God goes before us in everything, leading the way before we even have a thought in our head about something, changing circumstances as we pray, yet we can say no to God. Randy Alcorn, the author who wrote a detailed book about the biblical notion of heaven that I know many of you have uh, read, has just finished a book called Hand in Hand about how much God determines and how much we control. He says this, If I don't have the freedom to make meaningful choices, it makes me indifferent to the need to make wise 
and righteous choices. If it's all in God's hands, then what I do won't matter in the end. On the other side, believing in God's sovereignty keeps me from viewing my life as random and in the hands of others who can ruin my life. Alcorn articulates what each each side believes to be the difficulty with the opposing viewpoint. If God does it all, I can do whatever I want. If I'm on my own, there is nothingness. For John Wesley, a key verse comes from Paul in Philippians. Here is what it says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our reading today has many notions of free will in it. As he goes through his day, we see Jesus making choices which lead to the next set of actions. His last choice in this chapter has an interesting twist in that it causes us to stop and think about how God's will really interacts with ours. The truth is, of course, we're completely connected to the Lord and to one another in meaningful ways. Jesus makes choices here that model a depth of closeness with the Father's will that I want us to consider for a few minutes this morning. So hear the word of the Lord from Mark 1, starting at verse 35. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. A leper came to him, begging him, and kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word, so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. May your word penetrate our hearts and our minds and our lives. Amen. So God, who has ultimate freedom, has created us to be free beings who can choose how we live our lives. This morning, I want us to think about choices, because Jesus in this passage shows how we can express the liberty given to us. In the interactions, we see how he navigates his earthly life and gives us some insight into the freedom we have. Jesus' first choice is to get up out of bed and to go spend time in prayer. He freely goes to be with the Father. This is the first of three times that Mark records that Jesus is going to be alone, away from the crowds of people lining up to see him. Still, while it is dark, he goes in solitude to seek God. The account of these times have always been some of my favorite about Jesus. There's something very comforting that is being revealed here about his inner life that seems accessible to all of us. The word here for deserted place is the same as the word wilderness, 
where Jesus went out earlier to be tempted. This means here an area where one can receive replenishment from the Lord. Isn't that a great word? We think of replenishing a buffet line or a stockroom whose shelves are empty. Jesus is going to have his soul filled. In the quiet places, we can know our own thoughts. Alone, we can pay attention to what comes unbidden from our heart and hear the still, small voice of the Lord speaking to us. How does he want to prepare us for our day? Where does he want to show us where our heart is hard or the places where we have done wrong? In what ways does he want to set our minds at ease or soothe our pain? Nothing replaces this time with the Lord in our lives. But too often we resist the deserted places with the Lord. We take our freedom to go and do other things. We're so easily distracted by everything around us and all of the things that we have to do. And we might be afraid of what might come out if we're quiet for too long. What the Lord might have to say to us. Because we're constantly bombarded with noise. It's difficult for us to be quiet. But Jesus is modeling something good here. A time for our souls to breathe in the spirit of God. Who is just not part of our existence. But the lifeline that we must have to survive. Jesus is also showing us here how his work is connected to something beyond his earthly identity. By choosing to bow his head, we understand his authority and strength and power come from God. This is what's behind the public life that everybody else sees. Everybody sees his healing, his teaching. They don't see this part. Like famous or popular people that we might know of today, sometimes we're surprised when we catch a glimpse of their life in the newspaper or the news. What would it be like if a camera followed you around all the time? Most of us would say, yeah, it'd be pretty boring. There's really not much to see. But who we are when no one is watching us, when we aren't trying to display our best selves, when we're not trying to impress people or control what other people think about us, is hugely significant. Our character, our true selves, is revealed when we're alone just as much or more than when we're with others. Talking to God is the most important thing that we can do each day. Prayer gives us strength that reminds us that we're not alone. It gives us new ideas. It arms us with wisdom and readiness. It brings us peace. Prayer acknowledges God's presence. It replenishes our soul, whatever it is that our soul needs. Listen to this beautiful quote I read this week. True activity is never measured by noise or motion. The flower or a tree on a quiet summer's day, when nothing seems to be happening, is busy in the highest degree. It is opening itself to the unseen forces of its environment, having commerce with the sky in the form of sunlight, air, and rain, and is thus fulfilling its destiny. That, for Jesus, was the secret of a sustained life and power that opening of his soul to the unseen force of his environment, God. It is for humans the secret of the sustained life in the spirit. 
We have to have lonely places in our lives like Jesus did. It doesn't have to be early in the morning, but it should be a quiet place where we can shut everything else out and put our attention solely on the Lord. This doesn't just happen. We have to carve it out and make space for it. But these moments will sustain us if we so choose them. The next choice Jesus makes comes after the disciples have found him alone. Interrupting him, they tell him how everyone is looking for him. The words here indicate that they are frustrated and perplexed that they have to hunt for him. This is a typical thing that happens all the time. We go to someone and we say, you're needed. People are looking for you. Where have you been? It implies that there's a critical situation that needs attention now. When this happens, it's usually understood that the person being requested will get up quickly and go do what is needed. There's an unspoken social contract involved. You don't think that they're going to say, nope, let's move on to another town. (laughs) But that's exactly what happens here. Jesus exercises his freedom to fulfill the will of God, which he may have understood more deeply through prayer that morning. What is important is not what the crowds want, but to focus in on the mission that he came to do. Notice when they tell him how everyone is searching for him, Jesus doesn't say, who? Where are they? Let's go and talk to them right now. Because this isn't about ego. Jesus has come to serve. He moves to different places to proclaim the message of God. But for those who love the spotlight or great success or personal accolades, this is counterintuitive. Verse 28 in this chapter says that Jesus' fame was spreading throughout the region. Most of the famous people we know about want to stay famous. That's their mission, to have other people know them and follow them. Who wants to go to a place where no one knows you? Who does that? All of us are asked to be engaged in the work of God in some way. Jesus was living out his mission. Where are you freely serving him because he has shown you that it is what he wants? What is it that you are doing that God has uniquely asked you to do and gifted you to do it? As you consider where that is and where it is that you serve, we also then have to ask ourselves, what motivates us? Why? Why do we go and do those things that the Lord has asked us to do? And we always have to check to say, oh, is there a part of my ego that has gotten in the way of that service? Are there times that we want to say, who's looking for me? Who thinks that I'm important? That we're drawn to those people who want to tell us something great that they think about us. See, in some ways, the ways that we live out what God wants us to do, we have to remember that it's for God's glory, not ours. We serve so that he can be known. And sometimes we have to fight the pride that comes when people love us and go instead to where God wants to make him known, as himself known. Jesus here takes the freedom that God has given him not to go where everyone else wants him to be. Instead, he goes to where people don't know God, to proclaim the truth to those who haven't heard it. I think that this is a lesson for the church. Because lots of voices can tell the church where it is that we need to go and what it is that we need to be doing. 
demanding us to be there, but we have to be listening as a body to where it is that God wants us to go to be seeking him first. So let us focus in on that. Jesus' last choice was to show compassion. As he went his way proclaiming uh, God and teaching freely around Galilee, a man approaches him. This man was very sick, but expresses a belief that Jesus can help him. We didn't know anything about the man except that he understands what Jesus can do. He comes begging and kneels before the Lord, speaking words that show a humble heart. If you want, he says, you can make me clean. He acknowledges the freedom that God has to act on our behalf or not. He knows he's at the mercy of God's will. This is profound for us because we often come asking the Lord for his help. We've done so already this morning together, saying that God is the only one that can help us. If he chooses, he could make us clean. The man asks, and Jesus freely heals him. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about with regards to leprosy. In that time, it was not understood, and all number of skin ailments were lumped in with it. To have leprosy, of course, meant social and physical isolation. Lepers were not allowed to be in contact with anyone else at all. They believed it was contagious, and they worried about being religiously unclean. If you walked past a leper too close, you yourself would have to go to the priest and make offering because you now were not clean. And because people believed that uh, the disease came about because one sinned against God, now there's judgment around that. And who wants to be associated with a sinner? But Jesus' grace is so generous for the person that nobody else would help, much less go near. Just touching the leper makes Jesus ceremonially unclean. But Jesus doesn't care. He's not afraid. This man was suffering and needed to be helped. The man needed to know that God had not forgotten him. Now the second part of this story is what I want us to focus in on. Jesus tells the man to go and talk to a priest, to make an offering according to the law. Jesus strongly tells the man not to say anything about the healing, but to just go. That way, when the priest has seen the man is clean and he's done what's required by the law, he can go back into society. Now, Jesus has to have his reasons for the miracle not being made known. We don't know what it is. In scripture, he does this sometimes. And, um, but it doesn't matter why. (laughs) What matters is that there is no ambiguity in the Lord's words. Do not say anything. But the man goes out and does the exact opposite of Jesus' instruction. He goes out and tells everyone that he has been made well. Now, it's hard to fault the guy because he has, in effect, been risen from the dead. For all who knew him, he was gone. But this man, utilizing his freedom, thwarts the plans of God. It doesn't matter that the man was proclaiming Christ. He was being a great witness, which is what we're supposed to do. The Lord said no. This man knows Jesus is holy, possibly divine, yet he completely disregards his will. 
In this case, Jesus doesn't take the man to task. Instead, he adjusts his own schedule, his own plan, his own personal circumstances to change and go into a different direction. Now, instead of going out openly, Jesus needs to stay in the country. In a profound twist, one professor I read this week said that now the leper is free to go any place he wants while Jesus is isolated away from the crowds. Their roles have been reversed. Here's the point for us today. We have a perfect God who has chosen to allow those that he has created to have free will. Sometimes that freedom is going to put a kink in the plans that he has for us. In this case, Jesus adjusts his actions because of what the man had done. Did he know this was going to happen? Probably. He could have chosen to not heal him, which would have solved this particular dilemma. God knows when he tells us something quite plainly that there are going to be times that we're going to listen and there are going to be times that we're going to do the exact opposite of what it is that he has said. Ultimately, God will have his way. But this is a great example of what it can look like to interact with a God who allows us to make our own decisions. Does it matter what we believe about how much freedom God gives us? Actually, I think it does. It matters because it means we're paying attention. It means that we're thinking about and wrestling with what it means to be in relationship with a powerful, all-knowing, grace-filled God who allows us to freely choose him or not. It matters for how we pray. It matters for how we live our daily lives. As you leave today, I want you to think about how Jesus chose on his own own accord to come and help you to give you peace with God to help you every day in your life and I want you to honestly assess your life in terms of the choices that you have made and the choices and the times that you went against what God expressly told you not to do we may not always see the ways that the Lord has had to make allowances for us But we understand his grace. We live it every single day. So again, Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let us take time in silent prayer.